Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 36 Brian and Pookie Meet Aggie James They weren't officially back on the force yet, but a lead was a lead. Brian wasn't going to let a little thing like being fired get in the way of pursuing it. They'd heard the call come in. A bum had been picked up at Civic Center, a bum carrying a baby. The bum had been injured. Paramedics had brought the bum and baby both to SFGH. When the arresting officer called it in, he described the baby's blanket as being covered with circles and slashes, occult kind of stuff. A bum with a baby, just like Mike Clauser had described. Most of the cops at SFGH were preoccupied with Erickson's security. That, combined with the flurry of activity that had blown up surrounding this new handyman killer, and with Zhao not being around to direct traffic, meant Brian and Pookie weren't really on anyone's radar at the moment. They stepped off the elevator onto the second floor of the hospital's main building, far away from the mental health wing. The injured bum was on this floor. Brian looked down the hall. It wasn't hard to spot the right room, because a uniformed officer sat on a chair outside of it. Shit, Brian said. Think you can talk your way past this one, Pooks? Or is the force no longer strong with this one? A dismissive huff escaped Pookie's lips. Nigga, please. Don't you recognize him? It's Stuart Hood. Brian did recognize Hood. He was the guy who'd first interviewed Tiffany Hine after Jay Perlar's death. Come on, Pookie said. I'll talk my way in there. Let's see if Daddy really has lost his touch, or if the SWAT boys were just a fluke. They started walking. Brian hadn't made it ten steps before he slowed, then stopped. A new smell. A strong yet faint scent, cut with the normal hospital odors of medicine and disinfectant. He knew that smell. It was a lot like the odor from Rex Depravdichuk's house. Similar, yet subtly unique. The baby or the bum or both, were Zeds. Brian, Pookie said. You okay? You're stumbling a little. Brian blinked, shook his head. Yeah, fine. He'd have to learn to control this stuff. What if he ran into one of those basement critters and they had some stink that made him lose focus? Losing focus against something like that bear creature could get him killed. Pookie put his hand on Brian's shoulder. You sure? Brian took a long breath, gave his head and shoulders a quick shake. Yeah, I'm good. He followed Pookie to the room. Stuart Hood, Pookie said. Good to see you again. Hood looked up and gave Pookie a wide smile. Inspector Chang. Hey, call me Pookie. Hey, did you hear that Zhao reinstated us? Hood looked from Pookie to Brian, then back again. No, I hadn't heard that. That's great news, congrats. Gracias, Pookie said. And we're back on a case that's related to what Tiffany Hines saw. You remember her? The werewolf lady. Pookie snapped his fingers. That's the one. 
He tilted his head toward the door. We got an ID on the bum who had the baby? Hood nodded. Prince came back already. The guy's name is Aggie James. A few minor drug possession charges, but he doesn't have any priors of note. No permanent address. Witnesses said he came out of the subway tunnels. I heard the docs say he has a concussion, but it doesn't sound like anything major. What about the baby? Ryan said. Is it his? Hood shrugged. No idea. No idea on the baby yet. Kid's in the maternity ward. Pookie pulled out his notepad, sketched out the same triangle and circle symbol Brian had first drawn, then held it up so Hood could see. Was this the symbol on the blanket? Stuart looked, then nodded. Yeah, the blanket's in there with him. Ambulance brought him right here, so his personal effects haven't been processed yet. I was told this might be a kidnapping, so someone has to watch him. We need in that room, Pookie said. Just a few minutes, you mind? Stewart shook his head, then stood and opened the door to let Brian and Pookie enter. Inside, a black man lay in a hospital bed. Blankets covered him up to his chest. He had a white bandage wrapped around his head. Handcuffs kept his left hand locked to the bed's frame. Brian waited for the fluttery sensation in his chest, but it didn't come. The man in the bed was just that, a man. There was a cart against the wall. Pookie walked to it and picked up a clear evidence bag holding a blanket. Symbols all over it, he said. Take a look at this. He tossed it to Brian. Brian caught it. Even wrapped in the plastic, the smell was nearly overwhelming. The scent seemed to fill up his brain. Just like at Rex's house, the odor made him want to do something. Except now that urge was a hundred times more powerful. Maybe a thousand times. Brian handed the blanket back to Pookie. The smell wasn't just coming from the blanket. Brian checked out the cart. On it were bags containing the bum's clothes and one holding some kind of knit purse. They all had that powerful odor. Brian walked to the hospital bed and leaned in. The bum had the scent on him as well, but not as strong. The man seemed to sense their presence. His eyelids fluttered open, and he slowly turned his head to look at them. You, cops? Pookie sighed. Ah, I gotta remember to turn off that neon sign above my head. Hello, Mr. James. I'm Inspector Chang. This is Inspector Clouser. Brian nodded once. How you feeling, Mr. James? The man blinked slowly, as if it hurt to move even his eyelids. I'm alive, he said. Where's my baby? Here in the hospital, Pookie said. He's fine. You claim he's your baby? Aggie stared first at Pookie, then at Brian. He is, Aggie said. Bring me my boy or I'll sue your asses. Pookie shook his head. Child Protective Services has to verify the child's identity. Aggie tried to sit up. He seemed surprised to find he could barely move his left hand. He looked at the handcuff holding him in place, then lurched so suddenly the bed rattled. No! Don't you chain me! Don't you chain me! Chain me? A strange way to describe a handcuff. Aggie's wide eyes stayed fixed on his restrained wrist. Let me go, he said in a thin whisper. 
Bring me the boy and let me go. We can't, Brian said. Mr. James, tell me why you drew those pictures on the blanket. I didn't draw them. Let me go. Don't chain me. Please let me go before Hillary finds out I failed. Brian looked at Pookie, who shrugged. Hillary, Brian said. Is Hillary the baby's mother? Aggie shook his head violently. His breathing grew more and more rapid. <sighs> Mommy is a monster. Brian felt a cool sensation in his chest and stomach. The baby, the bum, monsters. They were all connected, all a part of Brian's past. A monster, Brian said. That why you drew those pictures on the blanket? To save the baby from the monster? I said I didn't draw the pictures. Let me go. Don't let them take me back into the tunnels. Let me go, goddammit! Pookie leaned in. Tunnels? Where? Tell us more. Aggie shook his head. Don't remember. Don't take me back to the white room. Let me go. Let me go. The room door opened. Stuart Hood leaned in. Guys, just letting you know I'm out of here. Dispatch said Zhao is pulling all security from the hospital. I'm supposed to clear out right away. Clear out? Pookie said. Who's your relief? Hood shrugged. Someone's coming soon, I guess. I don't know, man. I was told to get out of here pronto. The SWAT team is pulling out as well. Later. Hood shut the door, leaving Brian and Pookie alone with Aggie James. Pook, something is wrong. Really? Was your first clue Zhao wants to leave a child napper unguarded? Or was it that she put a friggin' SWAT team on Erickson, and now she thinks he's fine and dandy on his own? Pookie's cell phone rang. He looked at it, then held up the phone so Brian could see the caller ID. Chief Amy Zhao. Brian nodded. Pookie answered. Good evening, Chief. What's up? Pookie listened, nodded. I see. He listened some more. Sounds nasty. No, actually, I don't know where Brian is, but I'll find him and bring him. Yes, Chief, okay. Pookie put the phone away. Zhao said there's a third handyman killing. Two bodies in the Fort Mason Tunnel. I know that place, Brian said. It was an abandoned train tunnel cut under Fort Mason. It had been closed off and boarded up for years, but people still got in there all the time. No lights, no traffic. The perfect place to drag in a victim and do what you pleased. A new serial killer. A crime scene location that made sense. Yet it didn't feel right. Did she say if we were reinstated to active duty? Pookie shook his head. She didn't mention it. Two people in the SFGH complex were involved with Marie's children. Jebediah Erickson and Aggie James. Zhao had suddenly ordered that they be left unguarded. And it was dark outside. Dark and getting darker. Pooks, I think Zhao's been compromised. That or she was setting this up all along. You think Marie's children are coming? Brian nodded. Yeah, hand fast. Got a handcuff key? We have to get Aggie out of here. Pookie nodded, produced a key from his pocket. Brian unlocked Aggie's handcuff from the bed frame. Aggie's eyes seemed to light up, then fill with betrayal when Brian clicked the open link on his own wrist. Get up, Mr. James, Brian said. Come with me if you want to live. 
Pookie helped the man out of the bed. Where are you taking him? I'll lock him in Jessup's car for now, Brian said. I have to get something out of there. Can you get up to Erickson's room? Pookie nodded. Just hurry the hell back. I just made an executive decision. You can handle all the monster shit. Brian put a hand around Aggie's waist and guided the confused, weak man out into the hall. Chapter 37 Calling in the Troops It's about time, Chief, Rich Verdi said into the phone. Media's sticking their nose all up in this one. Where have you been? I... I don't know. Her voice sounded strange, maybe a bit hoarse. Chief, you okay? What do you mean you don't know? Hold on a second. He heard her sniff, clear her throat. Maybe she had the same bug that had knocked Clouser on his ass a few days ago. Rich Verdi remained just outside of the tarp. The Silver Eagle was in there, doing his thing with the bodies. Rich stared up at the pitch-black night sky. The tall pines surrounding the handyman crime scene were actually a touch lighter than the dark sky above them, making him feel as if he were deep in the forest. Sometimes it was hard to remember Golden Gate Park was a swath of greenery in the middle of a major city. From here you couldn't see a building, barely any lights, and the sounds of civilization were little more than a dull, distant buzz. Sorry, Zhao said. There's another handyman murder. It's pretty rough. Amy Zhao, the unflappable rock, was shaken up by the third handyman scene? Rich could only imagine what a Cleveland steamer of gore that had to be. That bad? Yeah, she said. Uh, is Dr. Met still there? Yeah, he's finishing up. Robertson hasn't bothered to show up, though. I told Sean to come here, she said. And I need you and Metz here as well. Fort Mason Tunnel, get here as fast as you can. Amy cleared her throat again. She sounded like she was on the verge of tears. As far as Rich knew, Amy hadn't cried since they'd found those two half-eaten kids in Golden Gate Park nearly three decades ago. But all this shit, it was too much. Rich closed his eyes and saw what he saw every time he did. The mental loop of that hatchet crunching through Bobby Pigeon's shoulder and ribs. The look of fear on his young partner's face. Chief, I think I gotta take a pass this time. I just can't deal with this anymore. She said nothing. He felt like a piece of shit. She had always counted on him. He had always delivered. But he was tapped out. He just couldn't look at another butchered body. Rich, I need you here. He looked down, shook his head. She'd have to find someone else. I can't, Amy, I can't. She coughed. She was crying. Just one more, Rich. I promise. Please, just, just do this last thing for me. Amy Zhao gave orders and people followed them. She rarely asked. She had to be as much on the edge as he was. Okay, he said. We're on our way. He hung up. Dr. Metz came out of the tent. He nodded at Rich. We're all done here, Metz said. Same as usual. I'll get these two back to the morgue and get to work. Change of plans, Rich said. We're going to the Mason Tunnel.
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Chapter 38 Taking a Bullet Let me go, Aggie said. For the last time, shut the fuck up. Brian moved Aggie out of the hospital and toward the parking lot. I'm trying to keep you alive, but I need that baby. Aggie started to pull away, so Brian squeezed the man's elbow just a little. Aggie's eyes widened. He looked like he'd just realized something about Brian, something terrifying and abhorrent. Don't take me back there, Aggie said. I swear to God I'll get it done. Brian wanted to ask this guy a million questions, but there wasn't time. Wherever back is, I'm not taking you there. But you can bet we'll talk about it later. Now shut up and walk. Brian saw the Jessup's black Dodge Magnum at the edge of the parking lot. Adam and Alder were standing outside. They seemed agitated. Adam saw Brian, waved at him to come quickly. As Brian crossed the lot, he pulled out his cell phone and dialed Robin. It was 2 a.m. He expected it to ring a few times, but she answered right away. Hi, Ansem. What are you doing up? Chief Zhao called, she said. She needs me to assist Dr. Metz at a pickup. Brian stopped walking. His tight grip on Aggie's elbow made Aggie stop walking as well. Fort Mason Tunnel? Uh Uh-huh, she said. I'm just dropping Emma off at Max's, then I'm heading out. Adam couldn't wait anymore. He ran over. Robin, hold on a second, Brian said. He put the phone to his shoulder and looked at Adam. 
What? Someone broke into our house, Adam said. He wore a gray jacket against the night's chill. We have automated alarms that send me pictures. He held up his own phone. The bright screen showed a shadowy image of a massive man with a strangely shaped head. Brian couldn't make out many details, but he saw enough to know it wasn't a normal person. Marie's children had found out about the Jessops, had gone to their house. Zhao had pulled Erickson's security detail. She wanted Robin at the Mason Tunnel. Brian held up a finger, telling Adam to be quiet. Robin, Brian said into the phone, I need you to listen to me carefully. Do not go to the Mason Tunnel. Zhao's just as crooked as we thought. Worse, I think she's going to kill everyone who knows about Marie's children. What? Brian, that's crazy. Why would she... I don't have time for this, he said. I think shit's about to go down. If you run into trouble, do not call 911 or any other cop. We have no idea who we can trust. Okay, she said. There was fear in her voice, but she wasn't about to panic. Shouldn't I just get out of here? Brian pulled Aggie to the Magnum as he tried to process all the variables. The Jessup's house had already been hit. Would Zhao give Robin a certain amount of time to show up at the Mason Tunnel before sending someone after her? Marie's children could jump across streets. They could scale buildings. They seemed to be at home hiding on building roofs. One might be on top of Robin's building right now, waiting to see if she came out, ready to stalk her just as he'd stalked Jay Perlar in his dream. If she did leave her building, but didn't go right to the Mason Tunnel, would they attack her? Robin's neighbor Max was a big guy, a bouncer. He knew how to take care of himself. He probably wouldn't stand a chance against one of Marie's children, but Robin was far safer with him than alone. Go to Max's apartment, Brian said. Stay there. Keep quiet. Don't call anyone. I'll come for you. Brian stopped at the Magnum's rear. Adam opened the hatch and started pulling out equipment drawers. Robin, I have to go. I'll call back as soon as I can. I love you, she said. Do what you have to do. I love you, he said, then hung up. She could be in danger, but he didn't know that for sure. Erickson was in danger. Of that there was no question. Zhao had pulled the SWAT detail to clear the way. Brian wanted to get in the car and go straight to Robin's, but he couldn't just leave Erickson unprotected. Brian needed to be in two places at once. The answer was obvious. Put those two places together. It would only take a few minutes to pull Erickson out of the hospital. Then everyone could head to Robbins. Alder! The old man slid out of the rear driver's side seat. I'm here. We have to move Erickson now. You think he's well enough for that? Alder nodded. I think so. At any rate, it's probably worth the risk if you think they're coming for him. I do, Brian said. He unlocked the handcuff around his wrist. Aggie's face lit up, then faded when Brian clipped the cuff around Alder's wrist. Alder, Aggie, Aggie, Alder, Brian said. He handed the key to Alder. I don't care what you do, but make sure Aggie doesn't go anywhere. If you have to convince him this is a wise idea, convince him. Brian turned to Aggie. I'm sorry about this, Mr. James, but I need to know what you know. If you run, I'll find you. Oh, and something else you should know. That, he pointed to Alder's cane, is a gun that will blow your head clean off. Understand? 
A wide-eyed Aggie stared at the cane, then at Alder, then at Brian. He nodded. Brian clapped Aggie on the shoulder, then turned to the younger Jessup. Adam, a shitstorm is coming our way fast. Then let's gear up. Adam reached into a metal drawer, then handed over a black coat. Take off your hoodie and put this on before you start babbling questions. Brian shrugged out of his sweatshirt and slid into the stiff coat. He gave it a quick look in the Magnum's curved, tinted window. He also saw the reflection of Alder behind his left shoulder, his face deeply wrinkled in an old man frown. That looks ridiculous, Alder said. The reflection of Adam's face appeared behind Brian's right shoulder. Gramps, that shit looks tight, real tight. I've been waiting to try this shit out forever. Brian stepped back, looked himself up and down. Long sleeves, black. Two rows of flat black buttons down the chest. The wide collar lay flat against the coat, but flipped up. It would wrap around Brian's head from temple to temple. The fabric felt heavy. He could see why Adam had chosen this design. Navy peacoats looked stiff and heavy to start with. Brian could walk down the busiest street in San Francisco wearing this, and no one would give him a second glance. Alder used the silver wolf's head of his cane to point at Brian. This is better than the tradition of the cloak. Hey, cop, Adam said. How did you know Savior when you saw him? Because people don't wear cloaks, Brian said. I mean outside of science fiction conventions or gay pride parade, that is. Alder angrily shook the cane at his grandson. You could have at least given him a trench coat, like Humphrey Bogart. Adam rolled his eyes. Hey, cop, tell my grandpa what you pigs do when they see a guy wearing a trench coat. We watch him, Brian said. A guy in a trench coat could be a perv, a gangster wannabe, or a psycho hiding weapons on his person. Usually it's just a businessman, but a trench coat always gets our attention. He smoothed his hands down the rough fabric. This is supposed to be body armor. The best you can get, Adam said. You think I fuck around, Essay? Brian turned on him. Look, lives are on the line here. I don't have time for your attitude. This is cloth. Okay? Tell me you have a bulletproof vest in one of those drawers. Adam's eyes narrowed, and his head tilted to the right. Hey, cop, remember when you gave me that bloody nose? Adam snapped his arm forward. A long-barreled pistol slid into his hand. Before Brian could even move, three silenced puffs coincided with three hard hammer hits against his chest. Brian took a step back blinking in surprise. Then his hands felt up and down his chest, feeling for blood. There was none. There wasn't even a hole in the jacket. Adam smiled, lifted the gun, and blew smoke from the barrel. Field testing. Good thing that armor worked, huh? Asshole, Brian said. What the fuck, man? What if you hit me in the face? Sorry about that, Adam said. I, uh, I guess I got a little mad. The same words Brian had used after hitting Adam. This guy didn't forget a thing, it seemed. Brian's hands kept feeling up and down the coat, hands searching for any sign of the bullet impact, but the fabric felt normal. What the hell is this made out of? The core is a layer of sheer thickening fluid, Adam said. 
It's sandwiched on either side by nanocomposite and fronted by spider silk protein fiber matrix. Nanocomposite? Spider silk? What are you, a mad doctor or something? He's not mad, Alder said. But he is a doctor, thrice over. My grandson holds doctorate degrees in physics, metallurgy, and medieval history. Adam pushed his pistol back into its hidden sleeve holster. That's okay, pig. I'm sure your community college associate's degree stacks up quite well. Don't you worry your pretty little head about the jacket's material, because it gets the job done. There's hidden slits in the lower back so you can get at your guns. Brian reached to the small of his back. His hands naturally slid into the slots. He felt the cool handles of the FNs. He pulled the guns out, smooth as silk, then slid them back in. They clicked home into the hidden holster. Brian realized he might have to reconsider his opinion of Adam. This stuff was amazing. There's more, Adam said. Check out the similar slit just in front of your elbow. Brian slid his hand into the slit and felt a handle. He pulled and found himself holding a knife with a narrow six-inch blade. That's amazing. I didn't even know that was there. Other arm, too? Of course. Remind me not to wear this coat in a metal detector. You can, Adam said. The knives are ceramic. The sheaths are loaded with the silver paste. Every time you put the blade back in, they get a fresh dose. Brian slid the knife back into the elbow slot, where it clicked home. Nice. Any other toys in here? Adam pointed to the front pockets. Hat and gloves of the same material. Check out the hat. It has an extra feature. Brian found a black skull cap in the pocket. He put it on. Now feel for a snap in the back, Adam said. Unclip it and pull it forward. Brian did. A flap of the thick material came off the top. He pulled it forward. It hung down in front of his face, but he could still see thanks to eye slits. He looked at himself in the Dodge's tinted window. The heavy black fabric reached down below his Adam's apple. Not a single identifying feature showed. He could be anyone. Don't get cocky with that, Adam said. The mask will stop knife cuts, maybe even a small caliber bullet, but kinetic energy still gets transferred to your head. Someone shoots you point blank in the head with a magnum, your brains are going to be bouncing all around the inside of your skull. I'll make a note. Brian pulled the fabric off his face and rolled it back behind his head. It snapped into place. Once again, it looked like he was wearing nothing but a skull cap. Give me a gun for Pookie. Adam reached into the back of the magnum, opened up a case, and handed over a 5-7 and 3 magazines. Brian wondered what other goodies the Jessup boys had in the back of that car, but that was for another time. Brian put the gun and magazines in his coat pockets. You guys be ready to haul ass when I get back, he said. Make room in that car for Erickson. Adam reached into another drawer and handed over a small black box with a red button. If you get in trouble, hit that, he said. Gramps and I don't want to go near your muty littermates, but if you need us, we'll come. Brian nodded. Maybe he had underestimated the Jessops. He slid the box into the pocket of his new coat, then turned and jogged toward the hospital. He pulled out his cell phone as he ran. Pookie, you there? Brian waited. Pookie didn't answer. Pookie, you okay? Still no answer. Brian ran faster.
Chapter 39 Into the Breach The north wall of San Francisco General Hospital's mental health wing faces a small wooded area. That wooded area slopes down on the east side, leading to the eight lanes of Highway 101. The trees on that slope are surprisingly thick. In those trees, hidden in the blackness of night, stood three still figures draped in dull blankets. Rex wasn't going to be some pussy king, hiding in the safe tunnels while he sent his brothers and sisters out to fight. Doing things himself was important. He had to be part of this. He had to have a hand in bringing Savior to justice. Sly was on the phone. He talked quietly, nodding at certain points. Rex waited patiently for the update. Pierre just stared up at the building, his head turning slowly from side to side. Rex had learned two things about Pierre. First, he was head and shoulders above the others when it came to hunting. Pierre knew where to move, how to move, and he saw things that others missed. Second, he wasn't that much fun to talk to. Pierre was a badass, but he was a dumb badass. Sly slid the phone into a blanket pocket, then stared up at the building just as Pierre did. Well, Rex said, Servo and Fort said the Jessup's house was empty. Dragon Breath and Devil Dan got their target. They're on their way back home. Bonehead and Sparky are waiting for the doctor girl to leave. Everyone else said their criminals are heading to the Mason Tunnel. Rex nodded. Tell Bonehead and Sparky to wait another thirty minutes. It's best if the criminals come to Chief Zhao. But if the doctor lady doesn't leave... They need to get her. Tell them to bring her in alive if they can. If not, that's the way it goes. I'll call them. It was wise of you to leave Firstborn behind to watch the chief, my king. Firstborn had desperately wanted to come after Savior, but that wasn't smart. Rex wasn't ready to trust Firstborn. Not just yet. Besides, Firstborn had had decades to do the right thing but he chose instead to stay hidden in the dirt. He didn't deserve to be part of this. A small, blanketed figure appeared on the building's roof. The figure swung over the edge, dropped to a balcony, hopped from the balcony down to a window ledge, then vanished behind the dark trees as it fell to the ground. Moments later, the blanketed man appeared between the trees, walking slowly down the steep slope to join Rex and the others. My king! The roof is clear! I tested the access code and it worked. Chief Zhao had done her job. Good job, Sucker. Did you see Klauser and Chang? Sucker shook his head. I looked off the roof but didn't see them. There are too many buildings. They could be in any one of them. Maybe they already left for the Mason Tunnel. Maybe, Rex said. They should have been there by now. Mrs. Zhao said she would take care of them if they didn't show. But they could still be here. Pierre's long tongue flicked up over his long nose. It's okay. If they're here, I'll kill them. Are you ready? Pierre knelt down on one knee. Rex needed to learn how to scale the buildings like the others, but that would come later. He crawled up onto Pierre's warm, soft back. Pierre stood. Suddenly, Rex was eight feet tall. Rex pulled his blanket tight around his shoulders. It's time for the bully to get what's coming to him. Pierre, take me to the roof.
have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.